Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about planning your adventure. Yes, planning your adventures. Or actually organizing your adventure. <laughs> Either way, uh, you know, everybody has like a way of coming up with how they're going to, with their adventure, right? Or how, with the, what system or what, you know, what organization do you use? And so I was thinking way back of when I was first starting out. Way back. <laughs> Calm down there. It was like, you know, when I'm talking about when I was a teenager and stuff like that. And even in my early 20s, I was, I'm trying to figure out wh- how I used to come up with my adventures and what I did to put those adventures from my mind onto paper or whatever. I remember, you know, from the very beginning, what I would do is I'd come up with a story, a short story. Just as an aside, Saul is known as the run it by the seat of your pants game master. (laughs) Even, well, that evolved. But even so, (laughs) I would write a short story, you know, one, two, three pages or whatever. And then I would base an adventure based on that short story. And, you know, it gave me great ideas, but... Usually the problem with that was that they tended to be a little bit railroady or I would get stuck because in my story, my characters would work or do things the way I would imagine them to do it. And other people would not play that same way. Right. That is the difference between a book and role playing. And hence why probably uh, starting with a short story was not a great idea. But. When you're a teenager, that's kind of the way you start. And maybe you kind of have to get that idea of the story in your head, right? Of what you want your adventure to be. Right. But that's like, you have to also realize that the players aren't going to do what you want them to. A lot of the ways I used to think about creating modules or my adventures was from modules themselves. We only bought one module that I remember early on, which was Against the Giants. That was TSR's... That was TSR's triple adventure. That at first there were three separate adventures against the Hill Giants and something about the Frost Giants and then something about the Fire Giants. So was it the first campaign written in a module, sort of? Well, it was. I guess there were there were a set of three adventures you could buy, but they were you know tied together. Right. So yeah, and then you're right because they would take you from probably from first level all the way to like tenth or twelfth level by the end of the Fire Giant adventure yeah and then and then years later i don't know when those came out i don't have the publication dates but at one point they combined those and they called it against the giants adventures because each one had a letter and right, a number right. associated with it like b one two and three those aren't the letters that was assigned to it that's just in Saul's head yeah so that was a very linear type of thing you know you you do this and go there and kill this well a lot of people use modules or even campaign books to run their campaigns so when you talk about organizing your game or your campaign or your adventure you have to take that into consideration well and that's what i was doing i was modeling this idea of the way i come up with the idea of of an adventure with the idea of how what i saw in the module so early on that's what i would do and i kept doing that and i kept doing that and even no matter how successful it was in real life, <laughs> real life at the it. table, yes. at the table, a lot of times the characters would not do what I expected them to do, and I was usually caught. You know, I've been said it before. I've caught flat-footed, to use a D and D term, and I was like forced to act on my feet or whatever and to come up with something. You know what being trying to be spontaneous, which is sometimes really hard. I mean, it's a it's a hard uh, what is it? But a skill. It's really a skill. 
So I think the first thing everybody should know is that when you're organizing your adventure, don't be too attached to your way of (laughs) of completing the task. Right, right, right. A few years ago, I started to look at, well, how do other people plan their adventure? You know, what process do they use to get to putting ideas into paper and then running an adventure? I remember when you first got the book Spirit of the Century. Yes. I don't know who wrote it, but... When Saul got this book, he had like an epiphany moment. Yes. He he was reading it and he's like, oh my God, this is so great. I can't believe that. I've never thought of this before. It was the yeah, the GM section. Yeah. Yeah. Not the, the rules and all that was pretty cool, but it was one of the first fate systems that came out. So fate has gone through in many incarnations and it was an epiphany for me because I'm like, oh yeah. And it was interesting because for a while there, I would tell people, go read that book. Go re- you know, if you didn't- he didn't only tell people, he bought it for all of his friends <laughs> no, and, say, yeah, and fellow GMs. No, but there like, quite a few like who- six copies <laughs> and he gave them out at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Helped that it wasn't ex- extremely expensive. expensive. Yeah. yeah, it was a paperback. That game mastering section you know, was really loaded with a lot of good information about, about running games and about making games fun for your players. And it was really eye-opening for me. And I, I agree. You're right. I'd forgotten about that. So I'm reading, I, so I'm looking at, you know, around that time, a little bit after that, I'm reading different books of, on how to game master and how to plan your adventure. And one of them is, uh, I came across was Hamlet's Hit Points by Robin D. Laws. And it is, now Robin D. Laws is a good writer, you know, he, he writes really well, he, he writes he RPGs. He what game? He wrote Feng Shui. Feng Shui, yes. And he's written other, you know, he's written, wrote the Gumshoe and stuff like that. So I'm reading Hamlet's Hit Points, and it's about beats, right? It's about these elements in the story, up beats, down beats, transitional beats. And I think there's like nine different things or beats. It has to do with plays, right? And or poetry? <laughs> it seems that way. But what, what he did is he has all these beats, and he gives them a, you know, uh, what is it, an icon that you could beatify any story, right? Right. You know, with the upbeats, downbeats, transitional beats, you know, I don't know, all, all kinds of stuff. By way of exercise, he uses uh, this beat system to do Hamlet. And I think he does a couple movies. I think, I don't think it was Die Hard, but one of them, so it was one of was an action movie. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was very uh, useful for understanding movies, for understanding how movies work and even plays. But I, I found it hard to transition that into role-playing games or role-playing game adventures, because it seemed like I just it just didn't click with me. Just as another aside, so is Robin Laws the one that you and Felipe are always saying throw in the ninjas, or is that somebody else? Uh, well, uh, he does that, and so did uh, actually it was a uh, spirit of the century. Spirit of the century. Okay. He actually said throw in the ninjas. Well, but because I, I found I found that to be the most I don't know what the right word is. Oh my god, I'm having a Saul moment. Um, <laughs> The most amazing idea is that if your your players look like they're bored or if the if you're if they're not doing anything, if they're not going anywhere, the idea that just bring in the ninjas, give them some give them a fight, give them an oh, unexpected fight. a wake up call. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to wake them up, to get them going. And I've used that before when, you know, they're like diddle daddling around yes. and not. Not not doing what they're supposed to, well, or not know, doing what they're supposed to. That's that's a very 
a very railroady idea. <laughs> not not going where well, they can't decide what they want to do. Not right? progressing the story. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just, you know, running, you know, what, spinning their wheels in the mud. And I always hear in my head Felipe, because Felipe says it, the way he says it, I don't know. It's just funny. He goes, oh, bring in the ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Right. That was, I think that was pretty much Spirit of the Century. But Robin D. Laws kind of does that also. So he also wrote Feng Shui, right? Mm-hmm. And Feng Shui is is a very uh, one we just recently played it. It's very movie oriented. That idea that you're in a movie, or you're supposed to to make it. You're in it. Not only a movie, but a a, Action. a kung fu movie, right? right. In fact, some of the they don't they don't call them. What do they call them? They don't call them keepers. They don't call them GMs. They call them something else. Directors. Yes. And game director. When they when when you start the the adventures for Feng Shui, you're actually supposed to introduce your characters, like you know, the beginning of a of a movie, the introduction, right? Right. Action movie. Yeah. yeah. The begin. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. As they're coming out and doing a karate kick here, right? You know that the idea of what you're doing, who you are, that kind of thing, <laughs> which which brings a whole new aspect to the game, right? It gives it this exciting kind of factor. Oh yeah. So that's what Feng Shui. That's Feng Shui. It's cinematic Hong Kong cinematic role playing game, really. Yeah. So you know it ranges from from kung fu movies like Shaolin monk kung fu movies to let's say modern uh, gun. The killers, the killer, the killer, the killers, killers. Uh, the replacement killers, yeah. I believe it is, and you know, like Cho Young Fat and yeah. and those type of games. The way I, reason I bring that up is because one was like, Robin D. Laws wrote Hamlet's Hit Points, and he also wrote Feng Shui. I was listening to a podcast called The Effect, which deals with free league games, and Matteo Matthew, the one of the the podcasters, he was talking about Feng Shui and how he really liked running Feng Shui. And how he really liked the way it was simple to come up with a, an adventure because it's basically like a book, like a movie, or a, or anything. It's three acts, and each act has a, an exciting bit, and you end the third act with a big boss battle. And what's what's really funny is that I heard this even though he recorded it before we played the game. We, you know, in our Friday nights game when we get together online. It was my turn to run a game, and Feng Shui was picked. And one of the hard, fast rules is that we only have three sessions to run, and because we don't want to get bogged down in you know in a long campaign, or you know we want to give every GM a chance to play and run a game they want to play. And it's just it was the idea why we started anyway. this thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, one of the games that was picked was for me was to run was Feng Shui, and that's exactly what happened. Right, there was three acts. Because uh, three I had sessions. three sessions, and each act was in each session, and it, and it worked out pretty good. And I'm like, man, and it was just weird. What a coincidence! Here's a guy in England talking about Feng Shui, about how he likes to run those games because they're simple and easy. And here I am running a game at about the same time. So when I was doing research for how to organize your adventure, I came across this this one guy says basically says that says organize your notes into bit like building blocks. Prep each session for a couple of enemies that the party can clash with. Maybe a puzzle or a role-playing encounter or a maze or a special event. And then let the party go where they want and just connect your building blocks to combine to continue the story. The party doesn't need to know that whichever building they enter in the town, that's where the, the, ta- the secret tunnel entrance is. Or that way you avoid 
a railroad game. You let them do whatever they want and you just have the things to bring at them, which is kind of the way I organize my adventures <laughs> yeah. because I learned when I started running games that you don't know what the people are going to do, right? That's what Saul's big thing. You have no idea what the, char- what the character players are going to do. No. So you might as well not have a set way that they have to figure out to get from point A to point B. Just let them go. Right. And that's a very good idea to have in mind when you're creating something. For me, when I was thinking about that and I was thinking about what Mateo said on the effect and how I ran Feng Shui, I thought, well, could it be you know that easy, right? This is this idea that probably everybody heard in high school, probably maybe even later. <laughs> about know, writing essays? About writing essays. Yeah. Right? You know, the idea that your old English teacher told you, you know, and what is that, you know, Tell them what you're going to tell Actually, them. Actually, it was my political science teacher. <laughs> <laughs> tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you just told them. So transition- Five paragraphs. <laughs> well, yeah, transition that into a role-playing game is, you know, introduce the problem, then present the problem, and then they deal with the problem. And then I'm like, well, that's basically what happens, right? You present, you know, I was thinking, is is this, this is great for a, like a one-shot or, or a short uh, sessions, a shorter number of sessions for an adventure, but it, you know, will it work for a more complicated, longer campaign-style game? And I think you know, if you look at a lot of stories, it kind of does because what you can do is you can complicate things a little bit more than just those three things. Those are the three main things that happen in your game, but there's all kinds of other things that can happen, right? There's all kinds of false leads. There's uh, you add something elements of the of the character's background as uh, story seeds for you to run stuff that is gonna be of interest to certain characters. I think that's that's important too. The fact that you have to make sure that your your PCs have have their character down, right? So so you can look at their character sheets right. and know. You know, and maybe have an idea of their backstory and what they want to do in the adventure. Right. And we talked about backstories. That kind of helps you to to pick elements to bring in, right? Right. And I was thinking, you know, even if you run a more, you know, intricate game, uh, more convoluted, however you want to choose to describe a, a longer campaign, you know, you can break up each act into three acts themselves. So, you know, instead of just having three acts, you have nine and in those, you know, multiple acts and, and of, in, in those acts, you can incorporate people's background, uh, dead end leads or foreshadowing events. Right. You can come across a character that will show up later in your in your game. And even like I, I was telling Jolene, even if you when you don't use stuff, you can, you know, pocket that idea and come up with it later or use it later or. If they don't follow a lead or decide not to uh, do something about a certain action, then you can come up with an idea of what, what would happen in this situation because the characters didn't or did did or didn't act, and then go from there, and then reintroduce that character or the, that story element later, and then I think that would really help your game feel like the characters aren't the center of the universe, that the, the world is still revolves even though they don't see things, right? Things outside of their vision of the characters, things are moving and, and things are happening. And I think that that will really make the players feel pretty, feel like they live in a real world. You know, That's a interesting idea. And then, of course, you know, because you're dealing with players, 
you want to make sure that you spotlight each one, right? Yes. And so you incorporate things from their background, true, and also incorporate things that are skills or 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 special abilities that they have that would be useful in the game. So, of course, this is only if you know the players' characters beforehand. You know, if you make a a pickup game like Tales from the Loop, where you can make characters at the table right before you play, you don't have that background. But you know that's a different game. But but it also you also with Tales of the Loop, you're actually if you're making them at the table, you can incorporate that kind of that's stuff true. in because you can see what they're <laughs> you can actually yeah. see what what, what they choose. Yeah. Yes, that is very interesting because then you can whether you're using their background or just looking at what they each do. There, if you're playing D and D, there's a rogue, right, or a thief, or right, or so you you can give each person a a bit of the spotlight. To make sure that they're enjoying the game and also to move the, give that person the clue, right? And yeah, move the story forward. This is forward. what you see. Yeah. And you can move the story forward that way. Also, I think it's important, especially if you're using modules or even just for for those those three different sessions or those three different, what did you call them? Scenes? Acts. You're thinking of, of movies. For the three different, if you're, if you're having three sessions for each session, you're going to want to make sure you have your... Whether you're playing on a tabletop with a mat and uh, maps and little figures, or if you're playing on roll twenty, you're going to want to have all of your maps set up where where the people could go. You don't want it to be too intricate because they may not go there. But you can use the same picture for something else, right? Right. Just a, or you can draw something while you're doing it. But if you have all those things ready and to go for each session, you, that's part of the organizing it right that you make right. sure you have your npcs ready well whoever they're going to fight or you know the whatever chance they might have of fighting whatever you need to have those monsters or bad guys ready to go and encounters role-playing encounters have ideas or give them a chance to figure out the clues talk to the npcs right. well there's a lot of work in making an adventure like that you know no matter how much how much you leave up to chance or how spontaneous how spontaneous you want to be or how Se- open-ended you want to be. Seated in your pants type of uh, You still DM. have to have those the the elements of the story there for, for them to go through, right? Well, you know, one of the things that I always have a problem with, and I tell myself to do it beforehand, is the list of character names, right? Of NPC names. The the worst thing for me is when I when people go, oh, what's the blacksmith's name? You're like, uh, uh. Oh, let me find it Jack, in my notes. Jack, Jack. <laughs> so if you have your your NPCs' names and maybe a picture of them, not only does that help your characters, but that helps you to make sure you know who they are, right? There, oh, if you yeah, if you include uh, what is it, the pictures? Yeah, I never thought about that. But you you know you plan a little bit more than I do, and and come up with more ideas that. The picture idea was really good. You know, where you're gonna, sh- what you're gonna show the players when when they ask a question. Oh, well, what does this place look like? Oh, here's a picture of the of the inn. Well, that oh. that that is oh. one of the most important things for me, right? Because and even when we were playing recently, I think it was your Feng Shui game with um, the Friday Night Group. Felipe kept asking. I need to know where we are on this map. <laughs> and you were like, oh, you're right there. And he's all, and, and we were playing on roll 20. So you ping it right with your, with your mouse. But you, in, if you don't draw an X and, or you show where the little guys are on the map on roll 20, it's really hard for people <laughs> to be orientated and know what they're doing. Theater of the mind is very cool. But when you're, when you're in a fight, 
you want to know how far away the other people are and what you can do, right? Right. So you can have that, oh, well, you just tell me where you are. But he, <laughs> Felipe goes, and I think you said something like that. And Felipe goes, no, no, I need you to show me on the map where I am. Well, what's funny is we talk about, we've talked about Feng Shui, I think, before. And, and Robin D. Law says, do not make a map, right? He says, do whatever you do, don't make a map. That's the word. He doesn't want you to make a map. And I'm I- like, Man, and I and even back when I ran it when I first got the game, you know, back when I was driving the Salinas and stuff, that had to be what ten years ago, right? Probably more. At least longer than yeah, that. Yeah, longer than that, because the Augustine was still baby, and uh, and it was like, I just couldn't not. I just could not do that, right? I couldn't not make a map because people said, "Where are we? Where am I?" Because I tried to describe where they are and something like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, okay." Like Felipe, even you know. 15 years later he's like but where am i on the map <laughs> i need like, to know I'm like, well and it's true and they're like how far is it how high is this uh this wall ah, it's like 10 feet can i actually uh jump on i go yeah sure really i go yeah you're like a superhero go ahead and i'm like oh you know i'm not gonna make you roll to climb a freaking wall right that's not feng shui you know feng shui is about hood hood you know does the the, even if you're not jackie chan type character uh you can still do what super cops scale walls easily right you know they just jump and grab and vault but that's that's a hard concept sometimes (laughs) for players because i know for myself the visuals help you to know that and we went to that I, I, I hearken back to the last convention, one of the last conventions that we got to go to, Pacificon. We went to this um, this seminar where we were the only two people there with this guy. It was Monday morning, though. <laughs> and we're like, I'm all, this looks cool, so let's go. I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of people and a lot of questions, and it was the three of us, us and the presenter. And he's like, have you ever run a role-playing game before? And I'm like, well, yeah, he's been running it since the 70s he's all me too he said the the most important thing i learned from that experience was he's like so when you tell your players what they're seeing have them close their eyes and envision it right and then show them what you actually are thinking about that they're seeing yeah. so that you're all on the same page because yeah. otherwise how are you going to be able to um, know where you are if you literally don't know where you are? Well, there has to be a meeting of the minds, right? Yes. And unfortunately, no two minds are alike. <laughs> <laughs> because I can tell you that I see a tree and you can be envisioning a walnut tree. And I'm thinking of, you know, a majestic redwood. <laughs> or I could be thinking of a palm tree. Yeah. I'm like, well, a, a palm well, tree isn't really a tree, by the way. It's called a palm tree. Yes, I know. But like if somebody's thinking of a big shady tree mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about this big stick with the bush on the end, yeah. right? Those are two totally different. Uh, so, so pictures help, yes. maps help, having your NPCs, pictures of your NPCs, which Salt always does for his for his games that he runs at conventions. He has the, the pictures, the character, because a lot of times when you run a, a game for a convention, you really have to organize stuff, right? Because you only have a certain, it's a one shot, literally, that's what it is. Because you have one, the session might be six hours, but that's all you have. Right. So you get all the pictures, the maps, the information you're going to hand out, especially when he runs his Dresden files. I always see him looking up um, actual autopsy photos or not photos, but forms, forms. and reports. 
<clears throat> and he prints them out and he, they're hard he makes to find. his own. <laughs> and, and then I've seen other other GMs, they you know, they they have the pictures of the characters with the character sheet and then they some of them even have like a little book of all your of things you should know, right? About the game and everything. Yeah. Yes. Very, very organized. So <clears throat> when you talk about organizing your adventure, you can do it if it's just your home game and you can look it up online while you're playing Roll20 and pull a picture, which Saul does, does and then it, he's like sitting at the computer and I can see him from the other side of the room <laughs> as we're on our both on our own com- computers and he's like staring at the screen and, and everybody's like, he's not saying anything, right? I'm all, you should have got your guys together before the game, I'm thinking. Well, sometimes you forget stuff, right? Yeah. And, you know, and, and I was really, you know, pressed for time, but you're right. Preparing for the adventure is part of planning the adventure and organizing and, and it. Organizing yeah. it, you know, having all your ducks in a row as much as you can. You know, the idea of having names, uh, pictures of, of of certain locations or what they look like. It was funny that you mentioned that whole deal with the where am I on this map, right? Because I I had picked this uh, site, a real site, you know, a real temple site in Hong Kong. And I could get all kinds of pictures. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not quite what I need. And I'm like, is there any maps of this certain site? And it boomed. All kinds of maps showed up. Some of them were unusable. And others were like, others were really well done. They were like this. It was a hand-drawn map. And it was kind of like a uh, looking at it from a from a third, third-person perspective. And it, and it worked out really well. But the perspective was also kind of off because people couldn't figure out how tall things were or how big it was. And I go, no, this is a big place. And the icons or the tokens we were using were too big, which I should have just made the map bigger. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And it caused confusion, right? Because if the tokens are too big, it's like, well, I should be able to move this far. But it's like I'm moving halfway across the map. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, it, this is not to scale. It's not to scale. And that's what I was trying to, you know, and I'm, I'm, and I'm trying to follow what Robin D. Law says, right? Don't make the map. So I make a map without like a no squares, not gridded, mm-hmm. right? I just say, well, there's, there's, and in Feng Shui, there's no, you know, I move 30 feet and right. move five squares or six squares because each square is five there's feet. There's no squares. There's no mm-hmm. squares. There's non gridded play. And even then, you know, and so I'm trying to make this as almost not a map as it can be, but, you know, it doesn't happen. It just, it's, it's very hard to do. And and I don't want to tax my players, right? I don't want them to get mad or upset, like, oh, that's not where I was, or I didn't, I thought they were farther away, or I thought there was something between us, you know. And I'm like, I don't want to get into those hassles. So I put down a map and I say, okay, just tell me where you are, and then okay, sure. And people were like, kind of surprised, like, oh, isn't this wall really tall? I go, yeah. You know, but those guys are having a hard time climbing. I go, yeah, but they're like regular people. You're the well, mask when adventure. You, when you, um, I was a thief in that game, and you said there was this building, and I thought it was two stories, but it was really three stories. Which, so then I finally did ask you, how many stories does this building have? Oh yeah, and because I wanted to run and go up, go up the wall with the handholds, right? Just go, yeah. Because I was a, a second, a second story person, right? So I could do that, right? Because I'm a thief. So, but. I, I had this idea in my head that it was two stories, but then you go, oh, it's three stories. And I go, oh, then I had to ask, is it okay if I just go run up the wall and get up to the top of the building? Because that's my, one of my shticks, right? Right. 
So, and you go, of course, but they're right there. I was thinking it was two stories and you had it as three stories, right. which Be- I couldn't see. I couldn't tell by the picture. Because, so, well, because it was a map. Yeah. It was, a, it was, it was a, 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 uh, whatever it is. It was like a little, a little map that you put all the little pictures on. Right. It was, it was a top down map. Yeah. So of course you couldn't tell how tall the building was. Yeah. That was a problem, but it was not a big deal, right? No, it, it wasn't was like, a big deal. Yeah. It was just, it was just that. I think that's a, a very important thing to to think about when you're organizing your adventure. The idea that your players are going to want to know where they are because like Felipe said, "Where am I? I need to know where I am on this map <laughs> so I can know what I'm going to do because in your brain as a player, you want to make sure you're oriented in the right. Whether you're standing in a tavern and you want to know how many tables are there between me and the bar or, you know, how many, what can I use in this place <laughs> yes. to beat people up with or that kind of thing, right? Correct. So whatever you're doing and as a D&D player, I, you know, you think about these things. As a Feng Shui player, you have to think about what you can use in the in the vicinity. Well, too. You just re- come up with whatever you want, right. but if you it need, makes sense. But if you don't know where you are or you don't have an idea of the 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 actual environment layout yeah. right then it's going to be a little bit harder the theater of the mind works but the theater of each of our minds may not be exactly the same right so that's one of the important things to me when you're organizing your adventure to make sure you have those kind of things ready to go it's a lot harder online with roll 20 because you have to set up the roll 20 and you it takes a little bit of time to learn it yeah. and figure out how to get the maps on it and stuff and one day we will be able to go back to play together, <laughs> which would be nice. But then that's when you have the stuff ready to go. Like if you're at a convention or something, it all has to be printed out and ready. Actually, it's probably easier on Roll20 than in real life because you don't have to do as much printing. Right. And you just like copy the picture, boom, you're, and put it in your Roll20 app. But you got to get it all sized and, the, yeah, and all the tokens and all <laughs> kinds of things, right? To yeah. be able to do it seamlessly, like like it's just to make the game go smoothly. Yeah, I think it's like everything else, you know, VTTs, no matter which one you use. We roll, use Roll20 because it just happens to be the one that we picked and we're sticking to it, right? There's Fantasy Grounds, there's Foundry, there's astral something astral table or something so they all have their own ways of doing things some are easier some are a little bit more was it the learning curve is a little bit more and i think when you play whether it's on at the tabletop and you gm you know it's a skill you develop you develop the more you gm the better gm you become the more you gm with a vtt the easier it becomes and you know, watch YouTube videos. You could do it for both for how to be a real GM, a real GM, a GM in at a t- face-to-face game, or how to utilize the VTT you're using. I think uh, if you become well skilled in either one, it just makes it easier. So the more prepared you are, the more the way that you organize your adventure will make the game go more smooth for you and make your players have more fun. So yeah. that's basically why we talked about this because. Yes. That's the goal, right? The goal. Make it easier and more fun. For yourself and your players. Of course. So there you are. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. You have a good day. <laughs>